BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to the Schmo Zone Podcast, episode 19. This is the Schmo, joined as always with the co-host, Helen Yee Sports. We have the Funk Master, El Jermaine Sterling, and Rebecca, the girlfriend, the fiancé. Too soon. Not going <laughs> to shoot this shot any further. How we doing, everybody? Doing good. It's a great day to be here. It's a um, good time, man. Good time in the life of Funk. Great time in life of funk. Last week, the Schmo made a bet with you. We have to get manscaped. Helen, can you confirm that we use this thing, this uh, Trimmer 3.0? I confirm. I saw it this morning. <laughs> we it manscaped. <laughs> Uh-oh. And uh, it's time for the Schmo stash to go. You win, Funk Master. Thank you. I have to add, you know I hated what? that stash. It's about time. Never bet against the funk. <laughs> All right, here we go. Get rid of this thing. Why? <laughs> oh, no. my God. Good thing I used to be a barber in college. That's how I used to make my money. Oh, I used to be a barber. Still got my skills. Hey, one more last spot. <laughs> I think we're golden. And we are manscaped. The schmo stash is no Yay. more. The funk master getting the job done Good Saturday job. evening, <laughs> UFC 250. And hey, hey, since we rescued you from the MGM pool, you're doing a little pool party. We got some tequila. Let's all take a shot, shall we? Hell yeah. Good times. Good times. Good times. Cheers. Cheers. Salud. Like water. Warms the cockles. <laughs> hey, Funk Master. So you guys were at the pool. Thanks for coming, stopping by. Yeah, thank you. How many uh, shots of alcohol do you think are currently in your system? I Honestly, I couldn't tell you. I had a Miami Vice and a uh, margarita. A jelly a... shooter. Oh, a jelly shot. That was good. It was kind of gross, actually. It was good. It was strong. And that's it. You know what? That's what we did. That's what we so came So is that for. just like a jello shot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Taking yep. it back to college, you know. The pool's crowded? Kind of, right? I thought it was a good amount of people there. It was a good amount Music. of people, yeah. No, it felt good to like be in Vegas and actually feel like somewhat of a Vegas atmosphere. Yeah, so what is that like, though? Now, you know, things are starting to open back up here in the pools. Like, are you allowed to move chairs around? How do people social distance, I guess? How does that work? Uh, well, they had a setup where it was three or two lounge chairs and like six feet and then like the next like two or three yeah so i mean they, we came in they said just don't move the chairs but yeah we move the chairs anyway of course they do <laughs> mm -hmm. well you're the funk master now you got a title shot next you call the shots of course you get to do it yeah i don't think they knew that so i had to make sure they knew now now they know now they know you're already acting like you own this place here in las <laughs> vegas uh you're gonna be moving here huh is that the plans? Is that still in the works? I think that's the plan. That's what we have in the future right now. Going to do a little house shopping tomorrow and Wednesday, and mm -hmm. um, you know the next the next few days look at look at some houses and try to get something, I think reasonable but def definitely nice. And uh, this is going to be the second home, you know, mainly to avoid taxes, but obviously to get some good weather, good training, and to have a place in the fight capital. No state income tax, it helps out a lot. Does that mean you would uh, do still do your camps in New York and maybe split time here in Las Vegas, do a little bit of both? How would that work? Yeah, so that's the main thing we've been discussing with my guys now, Ally Quinta, uh, Dennis Bazookia, Steve Lee, uh, Pumi, Marab, um, a couple guys back home. So the main thing 
we're gonna split the camp for sure. But uh, New York is always gonna be home. That's always gonna be home. That's first and foremost. But um, come here, all the benefits, the pros, just being in Vegas. You can't beat the weather. That's that's one. And uh, to kind of be like a snowbird and go back and teach when I get back home and to do the, the camp under Ray Longo and uh, Matt Serra, that's always a, a, a big benefit. But for the main part, I think uh, being here is going to be beneficial financially and to kind of set myself up for my exit from the sport and uh, to save twenty to $25,000 a year. I think that's going to be a, a pretty significant amount of money that I could put to good use somewhere else. Too soon to maybe ask, but do you think that means you'd be spending some time at like a syndicate MMA at Extreme Couture? Maybe it's just the UFC PI and you still got your gyms, the Sierra BJJ, Wongo and Wyman over in New York. Anything you've been thinking about on that front? Honestly, I haven't got that far. I really haven't, you know, so uh, I'm hoping I can steal some of the guys to come move down with me for, for the time being. Rebecca's going to be in school. She just got into her her nursing program. Congratulations. There you go, Rebecca. That's awesome. So she's got a, a two-year accelerated program. She's going to be doing that. And uh, I'll be down here, obviously, competing and finishing up my career. And um, you know, if I could get a couple guys down here in the, in the off-season when I'm not training, that'd be great just to go to back and forth to the PI. But the, Las Vegas is so transient. You know, just people coming in and out all the time. So I'm going to have a surplus of training partners, which is going to be nice. And uh, to have that luxury in the PI, the food, and just actual PT. I don't get, I don't do any type of physical therapy at all when I'm home. So whenever I come here, they're like, dude, you're like, your body is a wreck. How do you even train? I'm like, it's just what I'm used to, you know? I put my body through the grind and we don't have anyone that I feel that's the same level as out here in terms of the quality and the amount of the frequency that I could get out here to, to constantly get my body worked on. The golden hands of Heather and the UFC PI yeah. staff. Yeah. <laughs> but when did you officially decide that you wanted to move out here? I, I wanted to come out here two years ago. We've, we've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. And um, that's before the, the market started to really go up. And now it's not, a, you know, it couldn't have been a better time now. You know, just looking at the financial situation from 2019, we talked about it. I would have had about 20, 25K saved if we were here or a Texas or a, Flor or a Florida, just the benefits, you know? If, you know, we're eventually gonna wanna have kids and stuff like that. That money could've went to their initial startup, you know? And that could've went to their account and just been accruing over time till they're 18, 21 years old and they would've had all that money to play with by the time they get of age. So you, you look at things like that and you put things in perspective and I think it's the financially responsible thing to do. Um, and to go back and forth, I, I don't think that's gonna be hard at all. And so, are I'm you just gonna, so, I'm so, getting out of character. Keep going. I'm getting out of character. Um, no more schmo. Are you also <laughs> going to do real estate out here too? I mean, I could. I, I didn't really think about, I don't know. I didn't really think about it that far. I got my license back in New York and I just sold my first house finally uh, to Yay. actually one of my friends, my childhood friends from uh, middle school. And funny thing is we actually got into a fight back in middle school. Was, I'll never forget that. And uh, to see him kind of coming up into his own, him and his girlfriend, Getting their first house and just to be a part of that process was huge because I know what it felt like for me to get to close on my first home, and uh, for them as well. So it's a pretty exciting time. So maybe maybe I get my license out here, or maybe I just invest. So you guys got in a fight in middle school. Was that your first fight? Not my first fight, but um, definitely a fight that it was one punch and me trying to throw stuff at him, and I couldn't get my hands on him. the teacher. Got in the way. Students broke it up and. Uh, it sucked, but uh, he punched me right in the eye. I was really upset about that. Black eye? No, no, surprisingly not. Not. But it was right in the eye. I was like, oh, shit, you just punched me. You just punched me, dog. I thought we were friends. We were just talking <laughs> shit back and forth, and then he got really pissed off, and then he just punched me. I was like, yo, bro, I didn't know. We were, I don't know. I didn't think things were going to escalate like that. So that's the perfect time to ask you. So for any kid, before they get into jujitsu, wrestling, or anything, they get in a fight reluctantly. They don't start it, you know, but they have to participate because they're being called out. They have to defend themselves. What's your best advice for anybody who forcefully has to get into a fist fight at school? What age? Let's say, uh, great. Hey, kids, I'm not trying to... Uh, <laughs> Don't <laughs> advocate uh, it. No, just for self-defense purposes. Let's say anywhere between 10 and 13 years old. 10 and 13 years old. You know, that's at the, that, that tender age, man, where you're really influenced by the, the peers around you, I think. Um, and I think kids start to make fun of you. You know, they kind of... At that point, you kind of know like who's the cool kids and who's like the not so cool kids, who's like the the punks or 
the the corn balls as we used to call it. I don't know if they still use that term today, but um, I think self defense is okay, man. I think defending yourself. I know I'm gonna make sure I teach our kids, you know, self defense and make sure they can protect themselves at all time because. I know what it was like being a small guy. I was a very small guy, even all the way to my senior year. I wrestled 119 in high school, you know, my senior year. And coming in freshman year, I was about probably 105 pounds. And I used to always have a chip on my shoulder because people would always try to pick on me and stuff. So uh, having that self-confidence and knowing that you could protect yourself, I think is a huge thing for kids this day and age to, to just feel comfortable in your own skin, man. I think that's what it's really all about. So you feel like you're gonna get into a fight man you know hopefully your parents did the right thing and put you in some type of martial arts so you can somewhat defend yourself yeah but sometimes those people who get in fights they're reluctantly forced into those fights and then unfortunately it doesn't go their way in martial arts or karate or anything of that nature wrestling comes after yeah it's uh it's yeah it's, it's a rough it's a rough world out there man i think it's everything's trial and error you know so it's kind of like you just get in the fire and see what happens and just not being afraid of stuff. So uh, it's going to be tough, man, growing pains. But, um, you know, you, you'll get through it. That's I think that's the main thing, you, you just knowing that you're going to get through it, even if, if it's a tough time coming up through that adolescent ages. For sure. Now, you mentioned you're here for Marab fighting this weekend, fighting Ray Borg. Yeah, huge fight. Yeah, he's looking good, though. I saw, you know, the Instagram posts and the everything. Machine. He outworked all you guys on that hike. Oh, yeah, he ran that mountain so fast. Guys saw the jumping down the mountains. I'm like, dude, be careful. I want to try to keep up with him, but I'm like, dude, I'm fighting in like three days. If I fall, hurt my wrist even more than what it was, then this might not be good. It's not a good story to tell Dana or Sean Shelby. So I'm like, uh, let's like just take it easy, climb it, but let's like not go balls to wall trying to keep up with this animal he's a savage man that guy is a different breed yeah his last fight that wrestling was just on another level oh expect more of it expect yeah. more of it because this had more records yeah 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 yes you know i was always we were actually talking about it, like jokingly like us having like a, a competition to see who could get more takedowns in their in their fight uh my fight and his fight but um fortunately for me you know i only need one uh so Hopefully his is very similar, but you know Ray Borg is a tough dude, so we're gonna, we're gonna see. But it's gonna be a good fight, man. I'm, I'm excited for him because this is a huge opportunity, uh, former title challenger, and um, big opportunity for him. Before we rescued you from the pool party, right? <laughs> uh, we saved you. Thanks for coming you on the show. Did. Yeah, you thank you. Did. You uh, you said <laughs> uh, go downhill from here. You're talking about social media, man. You said you got like forty thousand new followers, literally just from Saturday night. It's amazing how literally just a few moments inside the cage literally change everything like a win or loss or just stylistically of how something goes down it changes your life in tremendous ways that's crazy to think about it, it really is it's fascinating like you see this thing just kind of unfolding right in front of your eyes and it's like wow i did that you know you accomplish these goals and these dreams is you know i didn't set a, you don't set a goal for followers but you set a goal for your expectations and your performances and things like that and to see the the reward after it and people were taking notice to the hard work that you put in, man. It's weeks of weeks of hard work. So to see people kind of gravitate to that and to seeing that you're someone they can look up to or you're someone that they think is cool or whatever the reason is that they follow you. You know, I saw some people, they said they follow me specifically because of what I said about the things that are going on in America today. So um, it's all good stuff. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm honestly just grateful for this opportunity, man, to just be here. It's like a young kid from Uniondale grew up in Roosevelt. Going to Uniondale High School, graduating from there, then being the first kid in a family of 20 to graduate from college, dad sold drugs. You know, I, I got a, I think I got a pretty unique story, and um, I think I can relate to a lot of young kids that grew up poor. And, um, you know, there there is a way. You know, it, it just depends on the opportunities given to you. And I think me being blessed with that opportunity, and it wasn't like the opportunity was then I just grabbed it. It was more so the the my coach back in high school just constantly staying on me. From ninth grade, he wanted me to come wrestle. I never want. I had. I wanted nothing to do with it. I thought it was like, as we call, it was like the quote gay thing to do. That's how we used to talk back then. Like, oh, that's gay. You don't do that. You don't wear a singlet and hug another man. And then when I came out my sophomore year, after I got cut from the basketball team, I tried out. I tried out. He was like, dude, you're never gonna be nothing than five foot four, soaking wet, 110 pounds. I was like, it hurt my feelings. But I was like, maybe he's right. He's like, come out, try out the wrestling team. If you like it, you know. Great. If not, then you never hear from he would never hear from me again to come out for the team. I came out, 
fell in love with the first day of practice. It was just so competitive and it was just raw. I was like, dude, this is what it was like the entire time. And ever since then, I just fell in love with the sport, just being able to kind of control your own destiny. Like the work you put in, typically it rewards itself in the results, you know? So I think that's the more thing, that's the thing I was more, I, I gravitated more towards because basketball and football and all these other sports that were like the common minority thing to do. You only play basketball, you play football, you're a rapper. You didn't do anything else growing up where I grew up, where we grew up. We actually went to the same high school. So, Is that how you guys met? I, actually, she was too cool for me, man. She was too oh, cool for me. She never goodness. talked to me in high school. <laughs> she walked by. She used to always do one of these, walk by me. I was like, wow. Listen, Audrey was the, rest, uh, <laughs> the wrestling stud, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> not at first. Yeah. Not at first. I used to get my ass handed to me, but uh, I picked it up pretty quick. But yeah, just knowing that it was a sport that you can kind of just con control your own destiny, That I think that's what I loved about it the most. Like, no one else could be at fault but you. You can blame the coaches or the coaches suck, but you had opportunities to go other places and learn. So I, I like that idea of like controlling your own destiny and just knowing that I, I could do that. A kid like myself, I know anybody could do that. As long as you have the opportunity in front of you, if people stay on you, and that's why I'm so adamant on like paying it forward because I know what was done for me. And if it wasn't for someone kind of just constantly giving me that nudge, like, yo, man, come on, come on, come on. It, it, it made a big difference in my life. And the other thing about that too, it's nothing's given, it's earned. If you want something, you have to take it. And when you started wrestling, were you ever interested at all remotely at MMA? Did you even watch it? Did you even know it existed? Did you follow it? Because at one point, did you start doing wrestling, you became good at it, and you're like, man, I could turn this into something. Yeah, uh, I knew about MMA, but I never, I didn't really like know when it was coming on TV. It was such a rare thing, like a rare commodity. I graduated in 07 from high school, but when it came on TV, it was, I was always something like I was fascinated with, but I didn't understand. I didn't know what I was watching. I didn't know what I was looking at. I was like, this is just like, guys are just going at it and beating each other up. But eventually I got a little bit older. I got a little bit more mature. I started to understand certain things and I started to understand like TV programming and like trying to figure out when it came on. So then I would watch more and more, going to college, meeting John Jones, kind of following his career, me transferring schools from Mooresville to, to SUNY Cortland, and him training right down the block, and me just contacting him on Facebook. And from there, it just took off. You know, it was just something that I just fell in love with, the same thing with wrestling. I was like, dude, I can do this, and I can make money. I was wrestling for free, cutting weight for free. And then it was like, you can make a living doing this. I mean, back then, you weren't really making anywhere that you're making now. And to me, I was still like hooked. I'm like, oh, I can do this, have fun, still compete, still make money, like a little bit of money, pay the bills somewhat. But now I'm like, I can actually like set up a future and set something up for my kids and do investments, like just through something I love doing. I'm like, sign me up, you know? But back then it was a little bit different. I had no idea this is what I was gonna do. I went to school to be a phys ed teacher, got my degree. That was the first thing I wanted to make sure I got done. You know, I had a goal in mind, make sure we accomplished that. and. Uh, I am today, and now I'm like, I don't even use that. I use that for just like the learning lessons that, that I did for putting together workout programs. I'm kind of my own strength and conditioning coach, and um, to a certain degree, I'm not like the best guy, obviously, but um, I do know a good thing or two about how workouts work in the human body. Yeah, and you break down fights extremely well on the weekly scraps, your podcast, mm -hmm. oh, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go back real second. You talked about mes Facebook messaging John Jones. Was he really receptive? What yeah, was that like? What did to he say to you? Yeah. I mean, I can go word for word what he said, but I'm not going to say exactly the words he used. <laughs> but he was like, yeah, come down. And I was like, yo, hell yeah, I'll come down pretty much. And to sum it all up, he was like, man, you're not coming down. I was like, bro, you think I'm joking? I'm not these other guys who say they're going to do something and, and not do it. He's like, everybody says that. I was like, bro, I'll be there tomorrow. Showed up. Have not looked back since. Have not. That's crazy. So John Jones was a major influence in your MMA career. Yeah. You know, I didn't know who he was when I went to Mooresville. Everyone was so high on this guy. I'm like, who the hell is John Jones? I started wrestling in 10th grade. So I didn't know the great wrestlers of New York State. And he was one of them. Two-time, I think, finalist and a one-time state champ. Um, state finalist and one-time state champ. So him and his brother, they had a very good uh, background pedigree in wrestling. And I had no idea. Him coming to campus, I watched him firsthand just tool these guys that were, like, returning All-Americans. And I'm like... I never seen no one move like that and do things to people that had these great accomplishments that I was like sorting out to do. Like these are the things I was like trying to accomplish, but these guys did it already. 
and he just made them look like a joke. It was it was night and day. I was like, this this is talent, and this is like next level. This guy, I don't know. He was fascinating for me to watch. I just never seen anything like that firsthand, that high level. I never went to states. I never got to see those guys on the state level wrestle. So for me to see that firsthand, I was like, this is what it looks like to wrestle at this type of level. To see the speed, the 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 slickness of his technique and how effortless it was. I was like, dude, this is like watching the Matrix. It was it was weird, like just fascinating. And obviously he has like really long arms, but the way he just put everything together and he made these guys just look, honestly, you know, I don't I don't want to say it, but he made them look stupid. It was just, it is what it is. He just made these guys look like child's play. And now, John Jones, it seems like he's leading the pack with uh, the financial situation in the UFC. Yeah. you got McGregor retiring literally minutes right after all of the uh, the noise after your amazing victory, after Cody Garbrandt, after um, Sean O'Malley, and trying to take the thunder that way. And a lot of different guys are talking about the financial situation of the UFC and pissed off about it. Uh, what's your thoughts on all that noise going on with that? Are you happy with your contract? Are you going to be the next guy to speak out about that? You know what, man? I don't think any of us are going to ever be happy. You know, we all feel like we should be getting paid more, and rightfully so. I think this is the hardest combat sport hardest sport in general to do um the limits that we push our body to and and everything that we give out there i think um there's really no price tag you could put on it i mean you look at football you look at basketball you look at the ml um baseball you look at soccer you see how much these guys are making in comparison to us obviously those guys are unionized associations all that and um they're well compensated you know so Eventually, I think the UFC will get there. Uh, I don't know if it would be during my tenure as a fighter. You know, it would be nice. But um, to have these guys who can just sit out and say, you know, we, we don't want to play because of the quarantine and they're being asked to take half the pay cut, these guys are making five, 10, 20, 30 million dollars guaranteed money. And we're not even getting a fraction of that. So, so to see that, it puts everything into perspective. Obviously, I'm happy with what I'm doing. I, I love fighting for the UFC. The, the, uh, what would you call it, the perks of being a UFC fighter, just to say I am a UFC fighter, it goes a long way. But to to say you're top five, you're a former title challenger, you are a former champ, or you are the current champ, it goes a very, very long way in comparison to maybe just saying I'm, I'm a bench player for, let's say, the Golden State Warriors. Like, you know, so it, it, it depends. I think um, it depends on the scope that you're looking at it from. It is fascinating to see all these guys all at once. You got Masvidal, you have Sean O'Malley, you have uh, Conor McGregor, you got John Jones, all these guys all speaking out who are pretty much the top stars in this game right now with huge followings. Dana White doesn't give a shit, though. You know, that's I think that's the difference. The timing couldn't be any worse, man, too, yeah. because of this quarantine situation. Uh, I mean, I don't even know if there's going to be a Major League Baseball season because the players can't agree with ownership and yeah. other leagues are talking about fi the financials. I mean, you guys need a union if something is going to lead. Who would lead the charge from that? Because Dana's not going to do that. And also on the other side of the spectrum, Dana is vocal about allowing the fighters to disclose how much they get paid. Yeah. Ask John Jones how much he made. Ask Henry Cejudo how much he made in his last fight. And you don't see the fighters saying exactly how much they make, which I think is interesting too. Yeah, I don't really know why that is. I mean, if anyone asks me how much I made, I don't have an issue disclosing it. I think the issue is how the person actually approaches me and asks me about it. You know, I think some people have like a little bit of a disrespectful tone when they are asking. So I think some people might be turned off by that because I have had people like, yo, how much you make per fight? Or, yo, what does a UFC fighter make? And it's kind of like... I think they're kind of sizing you up and kind of like trying to, it's like a almost what we call it, like as men, we call it a dick measuring contest. Like who's making more money? You are, you're a fighter and I make more money than you. It's like, I, I understand it, but at the same time, it's, um, it's I don't have the right word for it to describe it, but I, I just don't like it. You know, I, I don't agree with certain ways that people go about asking for certain things for in information regarding that. But I don't have a problem disclosing it for the for the most part. I think um, the contract is a contract. If the state's going to disclose it, they're going to disclose it. And there's really people talk about the discretionary bonus. It's not really anything crazy. It might have been back in the day, but for me, it's never been. It's been anywhere from four to six k. Actually, ten. I think Dana actually gave me ten for the Cody Stamen fight. 
because um, I didn't get the performance uh, the performance bonus for that one, which would have been fifty thousand. But because um, Zabit and I did the same submission. But other than that, it's been anywhere from four to ten k, you know. But for the most part, four, three, oh, actually three thousand, three, four, five or six. Nothing, nothing more than that. Besides that one time, I got ten. So uh, I don't know. It's and fifty on Saturday. And fifty yeah. on Saturday, but that's not a discretionary. That's that's, that's you know public perfect. knowledge, you know. Yeah. But if people want to know, it's as easy as a Google search. It's not hard to figure out how much we're making, you know. So um, I don't know if Dana Dana's saying that. I don't know. What his purpose is in saying that if fighters want to disclose it, I, that doesn't change anything. It's still the same. The narrative is still the same. People want more money. And I understand the business. It's can you sell tickets? And not everyone sells tickets. And not everyone's coming to watch you. But when you're fighting at the highest level, I think there has to be some type of a baseline, a starting point, kind of like the M, like uh, baseball, football, like bench players have like a baseline. I think when you get to the UFC, you should be guaranteed at least at a minimum 100K. For the year, it shouldn't be. I'm getting ten and ten or eight and eight. I started at eight and eight, you know, when I fought Cody Gibson, and I thought I was rich. And for me, that's good money. But when I started to think about, it, I'm like, dude, I just did all this work, blah blah blah. I'm on the biggest league, the biggest stage. You know, these guys made a shit ton of money off of all of us fighters. At the end of the day, that's you know, I could sit there and cherry pick all these things and try to make our argument. But Dana White's been doing this for a very long time, so I understand where he's coming from. Like, you know, he's got to keep the wheels turning. And he's got to keep the wheels on for this machine to work. So there's like a happy medium. I just think the revenue shares could go a little bit better and tilting towards the favor of uh, the fighters for sure. What about after your career? What about health insurance, you know, from lingering yes. injuries? like I, I don't have health insurance. You don't have health insurance? I don't have health insurance. So you have to buy your own? I, I don't have health insurance at all. So, so <laughs> does the UFC, though, take care mm. of the medical bills from a fight? Uh, from, oh yeah, yeah, we have thirty days. So right now, days. I can just say my neck, my back, and they'll take care of everything. But so my concern though is typically, typically, obviously, a fight like mine, they're probably gonna look at it like eyebrows raised, like really, this this all happened in eighty eight seconds, and I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but Tim Sylvia, Tim Sylvia, broke yeah. his fight. Uh, broke early his arm. Broke his sorry, broke his in a fight. Broke his arm early two thousands, yeah. right and. Obviously, he's fought in other promotions since then, but that was a specific injury. Who was that against? Frank, Frank, Frank Mayer. Frank Mayer, yeah. yeah. But, you know, he can't I saw can't someone put those? Dana on the spotlight for that. Yeah, <gasps> man. In the hot box. He was in the hot seat for that one. He was, he was. I was but... like, I'm going to just sip this tea. <laughs> you want another shot? You can have another shot. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, we'll all do another. But that's the thing is, don't you think that should be valued into your contract about having insurance in your post-fight career? Because you guys are taking head trauma. Like, think about what's going on with the NFL and all the lawsuits and concussions and CTE and stuff. Doesn't that waver in your mind about having insurance for lingering injuries, 5, 10, 15? 25 years down the line yeah 100 percent, and that's why i really do pride myself on not being an, a complete idiot and fighting just like recklessly man you see some of these guys yeah it's super entertaining that they get into these ridiculous fights that can be you know go down in history that they're, they're the greatest fight of the year candidates and all this that and the third but when you think longevity and post-fight career i want to be able to talk to my kids i want to be able to play with my kids i want to be able to communicate with people and have a conversation and people can actually understand me and I'm not slurring my speeches and things like that. You know, So I definitely take all those things into consideration and that's one of the things I always, always talk about, which is why I don't want to stick around the sport for too long. I want to give my best years and give my best effort and give the best of my abilities when I do these training camps. But at the end of the day, I want to make sure I get out with my brain intact and I don't want my girlfriend to have to think, you know, my future wife to have to think of like, how am I going to take care of him or he's losing his memory? And, you know, I don't want any of that to be any type of health concern. And it's a scary thing to think about, but it's a scary truth. And yet people can say, well, you chose this sport and you signed the contract. Yes, but you don't think we want health insurance. You don't think we want these securities in place so that we know we are taken care of when we get older. Yes, that would be very, very ideal. And I think anyone in their right mind would want those things as well. So, um, it's a slippery slope. Like I said, Dana White did a phenomenal job getting this thing off the ground. And that was what? 10, that was like 2010 where the Ultimate Fighter, oh no, 2007, right? The Ultimate Fighter, um, Forrest Griffin or, Four, two, yeah. or 2008, something like something around that time. But either way, that, that took off the company. They invested their money. I understand the risk that they took. So I get that. But we're not there anymore. We're here. So I think 
it's time for everyone to kind of get their fair share. And it's hard for me to, to say what the fair share is, but I think at a base starting point, for people who are coming in as a UFC hopeful to become a champ, I think a baseline of 100K per year as a pro athlete, I think that's very, very reasonable. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And not like, oh, I have to have three fights in order to get that. At least two fights minimum, but you're guaranteed your 100K because that at least gives you the option where if you fuck this up, that's on you, not on Dana White. I think that's the problem where if I'm getting eight and eight, 10 and 10, I pay my coaches, I pay the travel expenses, I pay, because they only pay for one coach and they pay for one fighter, which is you and the coach to, to get to where you're going to. My coaches always want an extra hotel room, which I wasn't used to, but when I came over to Cerro Longo, these guys been together so long, they're older guys, they always want their own hotel room. So I pay for those expenses. So this doesn't count. This is the quarantine situation, COVID-19 that yeah. we live in. What do you normally, on average, kind of pay for expense-wise for that week of a fight for your coaches, teammates, and all those extra charges? Well, you know, I'm super candid, man. I, I, I don't mind disclosing stuff, but if, if we're, it depends on the state that we're fighting in. If we're in a Vegas or something like that, and they're staying at an MGM, you know, it's going to be more money, you know? Right. Um, obviously you want your coaches nearby so that it's easier for them to get to you for, for workouts and stuff like that. So you have to factor in all those things. So whatever the hotels are charging at that price point, there's been times I paid probably six, 700 for one coach and the same price for another. And sometimes if we're bringing in extra training partners, we have to pay for another room. So it can, it can be, it can add up really quick. And then you, you factor in how much you're paying your, your management, which could be anywhere from five to 20%. I've seen some people that are paying 20%, which is absurd to me, because you're not making a ton of money, and then you're paying your coaches anywhere from five to 10% as well. And do they take a percentage of uh, your performance bonuses if you get that too? Some teams do. I have yet to have my coaches say we want to, they've never done that to me. Okay. And uh, there've been times they don't even want the money. Like I've had times these guys, I have to hit them up like, Dude, can you cash the check so that I can know how much money is in my account? <laughs> because if you don't cash a check and you wait four months later, now I'm thinking that money's my money, and then next thing you know it's out of my account. I'm like, dude, where did my money just go? You know? So we're talking about money. Let's celebrate a little bit too. <laughs> I know he's all worked up. Another shot of tequila for this guy. <laughs> that Ooh, go down smoothly uh, for you, Helen. Yeah, I'm okay. Um, oh, I just want to yeah. correct. So the Ultimate Fighter season one, oh five, yeah, oh five, yeah. close though, close 05. enough. But I do want to ask you. So what do you 15 think? Fifteen years, fifteen years already. Yeah, damn. and twenty. They had the twenty-five year celebration like about a year ago for for all oh, yeah, of the Yeah, I think last year. But what do you think needs to happen in order for change to come? You know. I just want to make this clear that, that I'm not like advocating for this. It would be yeah. nice, but I know, like, I'm not like the guy who's like trying to put himself back on the spearhead because I did that before. Not, mm -hmm. well, not on the spearhead, but I was the one advocating like free agency. I wanted more money and stuff like that. But um, like now, the position that where everything is in, I think when you look at everything, fighters have to get on the same page. I think we we cut ourselves out, we cut each other out from the knees. And when I, what I mean by this is sometimes you see managers who really probably have no business managing. They see sponsors on other fighters. They attack those sponsors and they lowball those sponsors to get their fighter the money that you were getting, but lower. So if I was getting two grand or five grand for a walkout on my shorts, they would come to that guy. Well, we'll do it for half the price. Stupid things like that where I'm like, so you devalue the whole roster to get your guy something because you're too lazy to go find your guy a sponsor. So there's a lot of doggy dog thing in this business. It's very individualized and everyone's out for themselves. And I think that's the problem. So there's never going to be solidarity where everyone's coming together and saying, we're going to take this stand. If you take a stand unitedly, there's no way the UFC can have a show. There's just no way, you know, if you take away everybody, all almost 550 fighters on the roster, there's no way. And that's just logical talking. I'm not like saying, hey, fighters, let's do this. You know, so I don't want people thinking like Al Jermaine Sterling is advocating, you know, because that's what people do. They hear one thing and then they start running off with their own tangent. But that's the only way it could work. But you can't have one guy doing it, scapegoating. Well, Dana's just going to be like, okay, you don't want to fight. 
okay, don't fight. I'll get the next guy. I'll get the next girl. And that's how it works. And then the other person's like, oh, you don't want to fight? I'll fight. Because they need to make money. And that's how the sport operates, you know. So I understand it's a very individualized sport where everyone only cares about themselves. Yeah, they care about everything else. But in terms of trying to get something for everybody, they, they don't really do the things that you would need them to do. And I think everyone who's coming up from the bottom, you see like Brandon um, Roy, Roy Val, who just fought, right? He beat mm -hmm. Tim Elliott. I got to go to work on Monday, man. And I like Brandon. I trained out there. He's a very good dude, tough dude. And I know how hard he's worked, you know. But when you see guys in that situation where they're like, I got to go back to work. You know, they just won their fight. They don't know if they're getting a bonus. He ended up getting a bonus, I think it was. He and did. um you see situations like that, and it's like, it's sad to see because it's like you're at this high level. You think that you're set. People see you on TV, they're like, oh, that guy's set. He's me. I'm going to hit him up, bro. Drinks on this guy all night, that type of thing. But it's like, dude, it doesn't work like that. This sport is not like other sports. Yeah, we may be the most baddest motherfuckers on the planet, but at the same time, we don't get paid the way these other sports and professional leagues do. And uh, that's just the reality of it. It's not like I'm saying anything new. I think people just need to open their eyes and... It's not hard to, to figure out, you know, but and the sport, I love what I do regardless, no yeah, matter what. Yeah, the sport's so young still, too. You know, we just had 25-year anniversary last year. Th these things are still, these kinks still need to be figured out over time. And then a lot, obviously, would change for all the fighters if a union existed. But we'll see over time if it gets to that point. But that's why I just find it fascinating that all these top-level fighters are coming out now and if you look at it from just where we are as a country and where we are as sports in general, the timing could not be any worse. Yeah, no, I, I'm just happy I was able to fight and compete. You know, Dana gave me the opportunity to compete and uh, he gave me a lot of praise and I'm happy about that. Um, again, you know, if, if a union were to come, I would definitely be 100% on board, but I don't even know how that stuff will work. If there would be like a tier level thing or like who gets what, you know, there's a lot of things that would have to be figured out with that. Who would be the union, the the body, like the control of the boards? So there's a lot of factors that go into it. It's not just like, hey, there's a union and hey, everything's all good now. You know, there's a lot of moving parts that need to be figured out. So I think being realistic about the whole situation is um, very, very important. But uh, at the same time, you know, it would be ideal, man. Like, I don't have health insurance. My girlfriend, she's about to be, you know, she's a nurse hopeful. And that's going to be very beneficial to us and the family, future kids. Because we're going to have health insurance and stuff like that. So I'm in a very different situation where other people might not be as fortunate. So it's just keeping things in perspective and just looking out for number one. Because at the end of the day, Dana looks out for the UFC himself and ESPN. You know, those are his companies. Those are his pride and joys, what he has to take care of. And I have to take care of the Funk Master business, you know. And other fighters are doing the same thing. They're taking care of the Conor McGregor business. They're taking care of the John Jones business, the Masvidal business. Masvidal's right. He's been in this game for 16 years. Does that mean Dana White owes him something because he's been in the game for 60 years? What if he was in the game for five years? Does that change anything? You know, it's you're still in the game, but because you were in there for five or 16 years, does that change anything? Well, they'll be able to capitalize on his likeness and his image throughout the end of time. They could. The UFC yep, could. 100%. Yeah. UFC can. Yeah, so I don't know if that number of five versus six or one versus six... Is it arbitrary? Does it really matter? Or is it just the popularity of what he was able to accomplish within the octagon for the UFC to promote and push and use that forever on their highlight reel to constantly make money? So that's where people have to try to understand what they're fighting for and what they're fighting against. Because we don't have those numbers. We don't have access to those books to know this generated this so we can have this argument. So I think that's the hard part. That's it was less than part. a decade ago that your state of New York just saw the sport as human cockfighting. Yeah. They wouldn't even allow this sport to part. You, you couldn't have any fights in this state. You can have any fights in a lot of states in this country. It was a lot of lobbying being done and a lot of work on the back end uh, on Dana White's side and that whole side to actually make this thing come to fruition. Culinary Union, too. Yes, yeah. You just you gotta evolve, man. You gotta things have to evolve over time. So change change is inevitable with evolution. Yeah, hundred percent. I think at some point things would change. Dana's getting older. There's only so long he could do this for. He loves this. You know, I've I've seen this guy in person. I I know how passionate he is about all this. And I would imagine because you know him coming from his story. His story is very unique and it's uh, very inspirational in, in his own right. You know, the stuff he was able to do and the, the hurdles he was able to jump through. You know, so I give him praise on all fronts. Um, because obviously without him, we would not be here. You know, this was a sport that people condemned 
And um, I don't know if anyone else could have been the right fit for the job. His personality is just different compared to a Scott Coker or that guy over at uh, NFC, uh, Chari, Chari? Yeah, Ch- Chachari. Chachari, Chachari. Yeah. And I'm not, that's definitely not a knock on those guys. I just think Dana's a different guy. He's just, fuck you this, fuck you that, and that motherfucker. You know, he's a different type of guy with a different type of attitude. And I think his his drive and his work ethic worked for him to get us here. And now it's up to us to use this to get us to another level as well. And um, I think there's room for everybody to eat, you know? Um, again, I want Dana to make his money, and I think there's just room for everybody to make their their money as well. I think the logic behind it might be if the fighters aren't making, if they're all making a ton of money, we won't fight as often. I think that's the logic that people at the higher of the brasses probably see. They probably think we don't want to fight. But if I could fight three, four times a year and make a million dollars a fight, why would I not fight? I could go, yeah, I got my ass kicked. Maybe I just want to chill out this one. But for me... I'm I'm motivated differently. People might be motivated differently because they're like, ah, I'm guaranteed a million dollars. I could just chill out. I don't have to fight. So I, I get that side of things. You know, it's a business. You know, so you have to look at all fronts. But again, I just think that the UFC has gotten to a platform where ESPN is paying, what was it? I think the deal was 150 mil over how many years? Something something ridiculous. I think the deal's till 2025. Yeah. And is that each year they're paying that much? So it's like, there's room for everybody to eat. I mean, I don't think... I don't think everybody needs to be making, I don't know, you know, I don't, and this is, I think this is weird because it comes like I'm judging how much these guys should be making, but at the end of the day, we are the talent. I think the talent should be making just as much, if not more, than everybody else because we are the performers at the end of the day. Yeah. No, that's that's very fair points. Now let's talk about how the rankings are displayed. Your division, arguably, we can hear any argument, but hottest division in the yeah. sport and the UFC, huge names. This card that you just fought on UFC 250, the dominant fights, the prominent fights were by bantamweights. What's your thoughts on the whole ranking system and title opportunities based on rankings or just based on popularity? Fights based on popularity versus fights on rankings because you could see a lot of trouble through the sport of boxing and promoters just making fights based off of money and opportunities, fighting lesser opponents just by names, by popularity and opportunities. Whereas in the UFC, I think it's become so popular because the best fighters fight the best fighters. But lately you can make an argument, hey, names, fighters are going to pick names to fight. You know, they're not fighting the best fighters, they're just fighting legacy names. What's your take on that situation? I think it's. I think it honestly sucks. I think it's. Um, you can see that shift in the era, from where everything was in the beginning. And um, you know, I try to be as completely honest and open about things. I think uh, the UFC needs to get back to the ways that it used to be, where the best guys fight the best guys. Um, otherwise, what's the point of panels? Is it just to like pull the wool over the sheep's eyes, who are the casual fans, the, the casual fans who don't follow as closely, so they don't know the body of work. Um, obviously you got people who are getting title shots with big names who are former champions and things like that. I get it, but are we in the business of making the best guys fight the best guys? Or are we in the business of just like, just looking for popularity contests? If that's the case, let's, let's just get rid of the rankings altogether. And just, let's just see who's the more popular guys and match guys up that way. You know? So what's the point of climbing the rankings if there's nothing to climb and look forward to? It's like, you climb for something, you look, you work so hard to get to the top of the mountain thinking that there's going to be this big platform for you or this big view for you to see. And you get there and it's just, it was a dud, you know? And so I, I, it, it kind of lets you down a little bit. So um, I don't know. I've been in that position. I think I definitely earned um, my spot after the, the last performance this past weekend. So I'm in a little bit of different position now, but before that, it was just like, it's hard to know where you're going because you're working and you're competing, but you don't know if that competition is going to actually get you in that spot unless you're being flamboyant or you're saying certain things and giving the UFC sound bites and things to run with. And I get it. It's it's not just fighting anymore. It's the entertainment aspect. And I get it. So it's not like I don't understand, like in order to sell tickets, you have to be entertaining. You have to give people a reason to gravitate. It's kind of like the WWE, whether you like it or not. People will like the characters and the personas, and they gravitate towards those guys more than the others. And I understand the personas. 
And that's how the game works. And I think we're kind of going towards that, whether or not the UFC brass wants to admit that. But that is the cultural shift that we have been making. And you're seeing it time and time again. I'm not saying Jose Aldo is a guy who's very colored and decorated and talking. He doesn't talk a lot of shit, but he's a guy who's well-known. He's very popular. He has a fan base. He has a following. People are going to follow him. He's fighting for a title. People are going to tune in. And that's just pretty much how it works. As a guy who plays a character and then watching your post-fight interview with uh, Joe Rogan, you had like a wrestling promo, you know, coming all over that ass for Peter Yan. I mean, you got it down pretty good. Let's call it like it is. You got it down pretty good. You got memes coming out after you. There's t-shirts out already. There's t-shirts out already. You monetize I know I'm making t-shirts right now. Right now. I'm coming for that ass instead of I'm coming on that ass because... I don't know if I'm coming on the ass. It might be a little bit too much for everybody to handle right right now. So uh, hey, I'm visualizing it. I mean, you already took this thing and you shaved the mustache. I mean, I haven't looked at myself in the mirror yet, but the visualization is there. He did man. a great job. I did okay. You know, my barber skills came in handy, but uh, yeah, it's um, it's a different era, man. It's a different time in the sport, and it's either like you you either get with you you get hip or you get left behind. You know, so that's kind of where I'm at, and I get that. It's unfortunate because not everyone has that persona and wants to go out of their way to do that. Like Henry said, you know, should he have had to have done the whole cringe thing? Probably not. But I can only imagine how much effort he had to put into that day in and day out to to keep that persona. When you know, whenever he leaves his house, he's got to put that character on. He's the king of cringe, and you have to do that. That's mentally draining, man. Colby Covington too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's a big one, man. I you know I've heard stories that they were gonna cut him. Yep, and that's off of a win. So for him to have to change his own persona and do all this and start talking shit, getting girls and trying to do this and act like, oh, you're a virgin, you're the nerd bash, and you know I get hot chicks and you know it's it's a little over the top, not a little, it's a lot over the top, but you got to do what you got to do to stay relevant and make your money, man. I mean, to be completely honest with you, I've said it before. That's why I created the schmo. Nobody gave me a chance to be a traditional sports journalist. So it's like that in every aspect of this industry and all industries. If you're not first, be different, but just be unique. I'm not saying, hey, you have to do a cringe act. You have to do, oh, Trump, America act. But I mean, you got to be unique. It might just mean be yourself and not be afraid to do something the status quo, do it the certain straight and narrow way that everyone's accustomed to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I agree with that. Um, it's it's just a different day and age. Like sometimes I even like for myself, like I like when I put the chain on, I'm like, All right, I gotta go, I gotta be the funk master right now. You know, I gotta I gotta bring the swag, I gotta bring the the appeal, I even I gotta bring the energy. And it's time I'm like I don't feel like doing all that right now. But I got to because that's what people are expecting because that's what they see on my social medias and that's what they gravitate to. So they see this, they see the guy who dances and he acts crazy. And I think for, even from the last fight, they've seen a different side of me that they haven't seen before. So it's like, wow, there's more layers to this guy. So now we have to peel the onion back and see a couple of different wrinkles of this guy's persona. And I think, um, like I said before, people follow me like, I've, I followed you because of what you said in your post-fight speech, not even because of the performance. Yeah. It's, it was it's a amazing. great message, mm-hmm. very that, powerful, that, yeah. And I, you know, I I tore myself up for the past week debating like, do I want to talk about this? If I do talk about this, how am I talking about this? Do I write it out and kind of script it a little bit, or do I just speak from the heart? Um, There's a lot that went into that. I'm like, what if I spend too much time on this and I lose the fight, and then I don't even get to talk about it? And I spend all this energy when I should have been focused more on the fight. And it's like, you this mental battles that people don't understand that we go through. And they're like, oh, you're a fighter. I'm like, dude, you don't get it, man. We're just like you. We put our shoes on the same way you do. We tie our laces the same way you do. I brush my teeth. My heart beats the same way yours does. It's just the added pressure, you know. And I, I forgot, uh, living, I was watching a GSP motivational video, but the day of my fight, I always watch motivational videos leading into the fight. And um, I saw GSPs. And uh, he was talking about the hardest thing is not just fighting. It's the hardest thing about it is living up to people's expectations about you and your abilities and what people think that you're capable of. of. And uh, for me, that's 100% fact. It's, I know what I'm capable of. I know I'm good. I know I'm great in certain things, but I know at the same time, like if I don't shine and do things that people always, yo, I know you're going to win. I'm, yo, I'm betting the house on you. Yo, don't fuck this up. I'm like, I get messages like that. I'm like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? Like, do I message you and be like, yo, you better not get fucking fired today. Like, 
sending you to work with this added pressure. You better make that sale today or you're fucked. Or you, you, your boss is going to fire. Shit like that. So when you think about all these things, it's like, damn, man, I got all these people back home. Then you got the chaos of everything that's going on in the world right now. And all eyes are you. You're the only, well, um, Alex Caceres, but for this one, for the majority, of the, it was all eyes were on me as the minority yeah. fighting. And people were hitting me up like, Yo, I'm disappointed because you didn't talk about the the social issues going on in the world today. I'm like, yo, it's my fucking fight week, and you're over here antagonizing me and judging me on based on me not talking about certain things. Like, get the fuck out of here. Do I come to you about your job and start pressuring you about, yo, you should have done this. You're in a position of X, Y, and Z. No. So, yeah, that it's it's a lot of added pressure that people don't see that goes on behind the scenes. Let alone make that walk, do the training show up, perform, and then the mic is in front of your face, your adrenaline's rushing, and your heart's on a thousand, your heartbeat's on a thousand, and you're like, I gotta bring everything back in concise message and 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 speak in just a way that everyone could actually understand. You know, but, it's a lot. It's a lot. That's crazy how social media works, though. You know, this is we've had a few interviews. Uh, the schmo went into Sarah BJJ. We grappled with you. You choked me out. You you, you kicked our ass. All right. <laughs> but we see the dynamics of the everyday relationship you have with your training partners. You're an individual who doesn't look at someone by the color of their skin. Neither are we. Neither is anybody in this room. You go about your actions by how you handle yourself every single day in the light. You look at each other as a, everyone's a human being. We all put our pants on one leg at a time the same way. We've all put our shoes on. We tie it certain way, all the same types of ways. And we all are human beings. That stuff gets overlooked through social media, through the messages that people see, because everyone hounds through the negativity, through what's gonna get the most clicks and views. And sometimes the sexiest thing, which is just being true to who you are, that doesn't shine. And that's what I hate the most about this entire situation is people that are men or women of integrity, that gets drowned by all the noise. Yeah, 100%, and it's, uh, it's an unfortunate truth. Uh, it's just that I could go on and on about this, man. It's, it's uh. It's tough because people have the they have these expectations of you and um sometimes you feel like you're letting them down, but at the same time it's like you still need a piece of time for yourself. There's sometimes I, I just want to chill, put my phone away, and just have peace of quiet for an hour. Just give me an hour. Like after the fight, like I almost feel like people are entitled to feel like they deserve a response or they deserve deserve an answer, or did you they feel like they owed you to do this because they tuned in for the fight. And I'm grateful that people tune in and they watch and stuff like that. It's not it's not anything against that, but I think people kind of forget that we're human beings, man, and we're not robots. We don't just operate because you you push the button and inserted a quarter. You know, it's 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 a uh, it's a very fascinating thing, and uh, I don't know. It's a. Uh, Stuff. I gotta say, I was a bit concerned going into this fight um, because I saw the the negative feedback of, because it was like a week that I mean after protests you didn't mention anything at all, and then people were commenting like, I can't believe you have this entire platform, you're not using it, you're this person of color, you're this and this and that, and I I wanted to like just like curse everyone out and be like, do you not understand like this is a huge fight going on like this man is cutting weight right now, he needs to focus on this fight, but people don't see that like so I was concerned that like this was going to affect you in a negative way but um you're just a fucking beast like <laughs> I mean she's like mentally you're just so strong because I think me that would have broke me like seeing that people saying like you have this and you're not using this power so that's that 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 interview afterwards when you came and you spoke about everything I think everyone was like oh here this is what we were waiting for. But it's just like, there's a time and place for everything. Like, you know, like you obviously were going to talk about it, but just like, you have to focus on the fight first. So. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. She texted me when I was going on, I was attacking people on Twitter that were talking about the stuff I was posting. And mm -hmm. you've been posting a lot of stuff lately that I'm surprised about or, and it was from some fighters too. And I was like, dude, get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. You don't tell me what I get to post and get what I get to talk about. Like, at the end of the day, I know where I stand. You don't tell me where I draw the line. You don't tell me what my beliefs are. I know what I believe in. I know it, you, you just you just don't do that. And I, I think um, 
I had to let people know and set the record straight. And Ally Quinta always tells me like, yo, you, bro, you thrive in the chaos. And I and I always tell him like, yeah, you know, man, I, I grew up like that. Like I said, man, my dad, you know, street pharmacist, he done a lot of things. And um, I grew up a certain way and it was just different, man. I, you know, I didn't have the, the fortunes of a lot of other people, you know, especially people in the minority uh, community. I think a lot of us kind of grew up the same way that, you know, our parents did what they had to do to provide and put food on the table and X, Y, and Z. So seeing that, I think it has shaped me to a point where I'm so mentally strong. Like for you people to think that they can break me with their words, I'm like, dude, you have no idea. That's why I talk shit because it's like I we grew up like that. We talk shit to each other. My brothers and sisters, we used to talk shit about each other's moms. And, you know, we're half brothers, you know, half siblings and stuff. So we used to cut each other deep, man. And um, sometimes I would feel like we weren't even family because the stuff that we would say to each other was like, I always wonder if like if it was normal. You know, thank God now we're older, more mature, and things aren't the same. We're, I think we kind of learned like, dude, that was fucked up. We used to, we were like dogs back then. You know, it was just doggy dog, whoever could survive and, yo, get over it. And I said this about your mom or you, whatever, and it was like, get over it, you know, whatever, or I beat you up. It, it, it was a lot, you know, so mentally... For me, I think I, I'm a little bit tougher. And Al always says, like, yo, when Aljo's doing more things, he's, like, more dangerous, you know? So, um, you know, she was concerned about it. You know, she was like, you need to get off Twitter for tonight and tomorrow. I was like, nah, nah, trust me, I'm good. I'm just, you know, I got to get this off my chest now. Otherwise, I'm going to be thinking about it all day tomorrow that I didn't say anything. And that would be even worse, you know? So I got it off my chest. I said what I had to say. And it was just more so, like, people were saying, like, you're, you're, you're highlighting certain things and... I was like, I'm not highlighting this. You're making it in your head that I'm highlighting this. I'm just talking about it and put it on a platform. Like it was a bunch of teens that were attacking some old guy, some old white guy, and the guy came out with like this Wolverine claws. But I'm like, you play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. So because the, we're in this climate of the protests, like, oh, you're highlighting the looters and you're making you're making a protest seem. Uh, you're downplaying the protest. I'm like, no, it's not that. You're making it that in your head. I can see where you're coming from because then they finally said that. And I was like, oh, okay, now I see where you're coming from. But that was not my intention. So I made sure I clarified that. But at the same time, I, you know, I was like, dude, people need to take care of their kids. If your kids are going out doing stupid shit, expect stupid shit to happen back to them. There has to be some type of accountability. Parenting 101. Yeah. I, yeah. It's like, where is it going in this country? You too? think because you could just go to some guy's car and throw shit out. I don't care what you're throwing. If you're throwing paper, you're right. throwing bricks, you're throwing shit out of some guy and you're expecting him not to respond. He doesn't know you from a hole in the wall. For all he knows, it's an old guy. He thinks his life is in danger. You don't know what this guy is thinking. You don't know how he grew up. You don't know how he responds and how he handles situations. So for you to go out your face and do stuff like that, expect a reaction. That's normal human instinct. Yeah. So people are like, oh, he shouldn't have been attacking kids and bringing out Wolverine clothes. I'm like, dude, you don't have no idea what this guy is probably going through at all. And I think that's the thing that we kind of lose as human beings. We kind of forget that everyone is a human. We all have emotions. We all react certain ways. I don't react the same way you're gonna the same way you're gonna react. I don't have my the same emotional response. You might say, fuck you, and I might say, Oh, he's just having a bad day, Johnny. Or the next guy you say that to, I'm gonna fuck you up. Right. That's a different response from a different guy with a different attitude and a different upbringing. You just don't know who you're fucking with. And you can't do that when a guy's behind a car. You don't have no idea. And parents need to make sure they're taking charge of that and teach their kids. Because stupid, like I said, you play stupid games, you get stupid prizes, man. You know, it's the same yeah. thing like you shooting guns in into an open crowd. You know, bullets don't have no names on them. Right. So expect some crazy shit to happen. Don't just... I don't know, man. I think people just lose accountability for things and they just think, oh, no, you're wrong because you shouldn't think like that. Man, I don't know. This world is just fucking crazy. It's crazy. More empathy is needed. Honestly, yes. more accountability is needed. It's It totally is. And then going back, circling to what in the beginning of towards what you were saying, man, it's not your responsibility. I mean, you're getting into a fist fight. A lot of people tune into sports is to escape from this madness 100%. that we're living in right now. Like to get their minds off the politics, to get their minds off the chaos and everything like that. It's to entertain people, to give themselves some sort of something to cheer for, something to root for, a few minutes, a few hours away from the bullshit of their realities. And I think that can't get overlooked enough. Um, did you have some fight stuff you wanted to ask them about? We got some big fights. There's fights every single week. Some <laughs> opportunities for escapes every single week. Yeah, 100%. Which is great. And your teammate, Rob, is fighting this week. Yeah, he is. You know, tough dude. 
Ray Borg is going to be a big fight, so make sure you guys tune in. The Machine Show is back, baby. Giggity, giggity. He's going to get it done. <laughs> I mean, if you want to gamble on it, mybookie.ag. <laughs> pro, promo Schmozone. They match up to 50% of what you put into it. You put in up to $1,000. That's $500 back. They'll match up to $1,000. That's $250. You put in $125 back. Go there, Schmozone. There are fights this week. I like that fight. You know, Jessica I, she's headlining against Cynthia Cavilla. That's an important fight for leverage, too. The fight, though, I'm looking forward to the most is Marvin Vittori and yeah, Carol yeah. Robinson. They have some bad beef. We watched yeah. them fight inside the hotel room in Jackson's Jackson hotel lobby because I think Carl Robinson pulled out of that fight. He wasn't feeling good, but uh, they got their back on this week. That's the co-main. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of big fights. Uh, I'm excited for this, especially for my guy. My main event is going to be Marab Divisvili versus uh, Ray Borg, future, uh, former title challenger and Ray Borg. So that's a big fight, big opportunity for Marab to, to really showcase his skills once again and let the Bantamweight division know that he has arrived. So this is a big fight, big opportunity. Ray Borg just for a couple weeks ago came up short against uh, Ricky Simone um, in a fight that really went back and forth. He landed some bombs, big body shots. And um, Murad's been training me my entire training camp. So he's in shape. And uh, I'm excited, man, because the guy's an animal, man. He just doesn't stop. And I'm excited to just watch this um, this output and the pace of this fight because Ray Borg is also an, a, a, an animal in his own right. And he's going to bring a, a hard pace. So it's a, it's a fun time, man. This bandwidth division is just on fire right now. That's right. And I'm assuming you would never fight a teammate unless it's for a title? Uh, we haven't even talked about that. But... Uh, <laughs> We, yeah, we just won't fight each other. We just won't fight each other. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Marvin Vittori, Carl, what do you got? Honestly, I don't know. Vittori's a tough dude. He stood in there with Adesanya. And, um, People Adesanya, forget that. Yeah, Adesanya said he had a, a harder head than he thought. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Carl Robinson, I know he, his ground game is really non-existent. We saw that against um, Glover Teixeira. Great stand-up affair, but then once it hit the ground, non-existent. So um, if it's me fighting a guy like that, I'm taking him down all day long, straight up Corey Sanhagen style. You know, so um, big fight. I don't think Marvin Vittori is a, much of a grappler. So it's going to be a stand-up exchange. I can see more clinching. And um, if I did have to pick, I think the, that probably favors more so the, the longer, lankier guy in uh, Roberson. And lastly, what about the main event? Calvio I? That's a tough one, you know, because Calvio has missed weight a lot of times. Yeah. And now this will be in flyweight. She's going, up. She's going yeah. up a weight class. So that should not be an issue. But we saw that with Ray Borg. And he went up and he still missed weight at 135, which is insane. So hopefully she makes weight. Uh, she's, a, she's a tough girl. She has uh, a lot of potential. I think she has a really tough attitude that makes her tough mm -hmm. for any opponent. And just guys, she's a veteran. She's, what is she, the number one contender right now uh, at that mm -hmm. division? So... It's, it's a great fight for her to showcase her skills and really catapult herself right away into that division to be the next person at 125. But she's got a tough person in uh, Jessica I. If she can dispatch Jessica, that's going to make some real big headways for her. But Jessica I, she's got good boxing, good stand-up, and she's really, really working on her, her ground game. So I'm not sure what to really think about it, but I think Cavillo is more of a grappler than she is. So it's going to be fascinating to see... Who can impose their will and get on top and control the, the, the fight? Or will it be just a stand-up affair? I'm feeling naked. He shaved me. <laughs> Manscaped. The schmo got Manscaped by this man, Aljamain <laughs> Sterling. Go to manscaped.com. Promo code schmo. They got all your men's grooming stuff right there. I did not use the ball stuff, though, before this. So uh, <laughs> I'm not feeling good about it. But, hey, we, it works out well. Obviously, it's cleared off. Anything you want to say out there? I mean, you've made your rounds. I, I know you don't have much of a celebration because you got a you got you got your teammate in there, man. Any final messages you want to make? No, no. I just think uh, at the end of the day, man. I just hope the world realizes, like, yo, just treat people how you want to be treated. I think that's the easy number one solution to to racism. I think um, sometimes people are race, racially biased without even realizing it. Because they don't understand the certain things and their, their actions that gravitate towards that, you know, without their like actual awareness of it. So subconsciously, it's kind of embedded in them without actually seeing it. But um, I think if you just treat people the way you want to be treated and the way you want your family members to be treated, the people that you love and and uh, adore, I think that's the easy way to solve everything. You know, you you do that, and I think that there's just no room for racism or or hate. So. 
at the end of the day, like I said, this is a, a fighting sport. We beat the crap out of each other. And I I can still look at my opponent and be like, yo, like for this fight, Corey Sanhagen is such a good dude, man. I, you know, so sweet. And I'm like, man, that's a guy I would love to like just hang out with and just shoot the shit with. <laughs> Uh, if he's still out here, smoke weed. Out. Yeah, he both have podcasts too. You know, have a couple beers with, and um, he's so mellow, so chill, and it's like his op- his personality is such a zen to mine. It's like the opposite. You know, he's like so low key. I'm more like a little more uppity and and uh, more energetic and up and about. But um, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I had to find a way to get myself up to want to really take this guy out because we have to crush each other's dreams to achieve our own. So, you know, and. It's a it's a doggy dog world, you know. But at the same time, I think there's still a lot of room for love and compassion and um, just respect, man. Just fucking yeah. be respectful, man. It's, how hard is that? Like, you have respect for one another. I think that solves everything. Just have respect. It's not that. It's not that complicated. Rebecca, get him on health insurance. He needs yes, to get that figured out. That. Yes, we got our Fight Island T-shirts on. Yes. I think it's going to be in Abu Dhabi. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> Abu Dhabi, we out. We out. Uh, Helen, sign us off for this thing. Podcast, oh, it's on you. It's on you. Okay, sign well, us off. first two things again. Once again, congratulations. Incredible performance. And I think we can all agree we're all looking forward to watching you, you know, fight for the title, whether it's against Aldo, Aldo or, or Jan, Jan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's the pro. No, he's David. I'm David. <laughs> he's David. Is it safe to say or too soon? There are the Sterlings. Yeah. I screwed that up. If, I'm sorry if I did. Is I, that I'm okay? So, Put Sterling. it out in the universe. Did I screw up? Yeah. Sterlings. Soon, right? Soon. 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 Very, soon. very soon. People. People. And there are going to be Vegas locals <laughs> very Vegas soon. Vegas locals, yeah. yes. Uh, episode 19 of the Schmo Zone. We're out. Mm-hmm.